We are ending our sermon series, The Struggle is Real. Uh, We've been in three weeks now. This will be our fourth and final week in discussion of uh, struggle that's maybe the most universal of the four. I don't know. Uh, I'd like to ask the question this morning. Do you struggle with forgiving people who've wronged you? Do you struggle with this? The story is told of a man who came to the famous evangelist John Wesley and said to him, I could never forgive so-and-so. I could never forgive such-and-such an individual. Wesley responded, well, I hope then that you never sin. He went on to say, when you're unforgiving, you're burning the very bridge you need to walk across. Or if you're not willing to forgive someone else of their sins against you, you're setting yourself up to not be forgiven. That's the reality of the situation. Rick Warren writes, When I hear someone say that they can't forgive, I realize that this individual just doesn't understand forgiveness. If you understood forgiveness, you probably would be more able to do it. He goes on to say, Many myths get in the way of our readiness as Christians to forgive others. And we're going to talk about some of those this morning. If your struggle is forgiving, let's look at uh, three potential misunderstandings right off the bat about the concept. I'll try to uh, talk slowly, so if you're taking notes, I won't rush you too much. Here's three examples of what forgiveness is not. Again, uh, sources Rick Warren on this. First, Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of an offense. Right away, we need to understand that. Forgiveness is not minimizing, is not making light the seriousness of an offense against you. Second, forgiveness is not an instant restoration of trust. A lot of times we think it is. We think, oh, I've forgiven you. I've completely forgotten about it. It doesn't exist anymore. Forgiveness is not an instant restoration of the trust you had for the person before the offense. And third, forgiveness is not resuming a relationship without any changes. It's not resuming a relationship without any changes. And I'll come back to these, and we'll discuss them further in just a little while, but I think it's important for us first to get off uh, on a good foot with what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Get the wheels turning. So where do we start this morning? Well, let's dig into our text. What does Jesus, what does the Lord God of the universe say about forgiveness? These words of Jesus aren't easy to swallow. Uh, It's the same thing I said just a minute ago, but I'll use the words of our Lord. Jesus indeed says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. So this isn't just some famous theologian. Uh, This isn't some megachurch preacher uh, giving an opinion. This is God in the flesh saying, this is the way forgiveness works. But let's not misunderstand what Jesus says either. First off, when Jesus says, if you forgive others, the Heavenly Father will forgive you, Jesus is not implying a works-based salvation. Don't misunderstand him. 
that is the grace of God. What we've been singing about all morning, what we've been talking about, what we talk about every week, God's forgiveness of our sins, it's in no way, shape, or form dependent on what we do as his followers. And that's a good thing. That's a very, very, very good thing. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is God is not up there saying, well, Josh didn't forgive Becky for not making him a ding-dong cake for his last birthday. After she promised, a ding-dong cake was coming every year now. There's no resentment about this. So I'm not going to forgive Josh for continuing to overindulge in sugar even though he knows full well, number one, he's got non-alcoholic fatty liver, number two, type two diabetes. God's fortunately not keeping this scorecard of my continued sins this morning, even just the food-related ones, of, of which God knows there are many. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for me. I accepted it, 1 John 1, 7. I'm forgiven. I continue to sin, but I'm forgiven. But what Jesus is getting at here in our text is this, as a follower of Christ, as one who has accepted God's grace, who walks daily in God's grace, I am now called to extend that grace. It doesn't stop with me. It doesn't end here. This point is not negotiable. I think we wish somehow that it was, that the side of divinity when it comes to grace sticks with me, but it doesn't. I'm obligated to forgive others. That's not easy. That's not easy. Christians don't forgive other people's sins so that our sins are forgiven. But Christians forgive other people's sins because our sins are forgiven. Obligated in the cross, in grace. And the better we understand this, the more apt we'll be able to do it. Think about it. As Christians, we have already asked God to forgive us in the same way that we forgive other people. So what can become of our walk with Jesus, with our personal, with our working, with our church relationships in his presence? If we're claiming God's forgiveness, I'm claiming the cross, but I'm not going to practice it. I'm not going to forgive others. If we fail to be people who pass on God's grace, simply put, our failure in forgiving, it's going to show in our living. One Christian counselor writes about conversations um, that they had had with Christine. Christine was a woman in her mid-30s. Christine said one day that she hadn't seen her parents in many years. Yet she insisted she got along fine with them. When asked about her childhood, Christine admitted that it was a difficult time. It was a difficult time. Growing up, her, her parents were abusive. They would often uh, slap Christine across the face in anger. There were several occasions Christine's parents uh, even locked her in a closet for upsetting them. Now, Christine's father believed this abuse was a godly kind of discipline. There are those that do. But Christine moved out of her parents' house at the age of 16, wanting nothing to do with mom, dad, or God. More recently, Christine's personal failures had taught her that she needed Jesus in her life. She needed to return to the faith of her youth. And this helped guide her to Christian counseling, which was an excellent choice. 
the, the, the author writes, I explained one day, Christine, you say you've got a short fuse. You say you lose your temper more often than you'd like to. I was just wondering if you're still angry with your parents. Christine would answer coolly, my parents did the best they could. They thought strictness uh, was the biblical way to bring me up. They never meant to hurt me. The author continues, I don't agree. I went on. I don't think your parents did the best they could do. Child abuse is sin, Christine, and they sinned against you. Christine then responded, well, I'm supposed to forgive them, right? That's my way of forgiving them. I'm willing to say they did the best they could. And now I just avoid seeing them as much as possible. This counselor writes about their continued response. That's not forgiveness, Christine. That's not forgiveness. And let's take note of this. Forgiveness is acknowledging everything your parents did to you. You need to face the fact that your parents treated you very, very badly. Then, with God's help, you can forgive them for the things they did. But watering it all down and then walking away from it is not forgiveness. I'd like to share just, just a little bit more of this uh, conclusion uh, from this ca- uh, Christian counselor. Christine and I discussed at length the cold, hard facts of her childhood. We then prayed that God would forgive her parents for several specific incidents where they deeply wounded her physically, emotionally, spiritually. In the months to come, Christine found that through her act of forgiveness, her personal act of forgiveness, her rage, her short temper began to diminish. Through improved communication and honesty, Christine was even eventually able to establish a comfortable adult relationship with both parents. That's the end of this writing, but what can we go on to say made a difference for Christine? What made a difference in her life? Well, Christine had learned to understand forgiveness, had learned to understand grace. When she was just ignoring her, her willingness to be unforgiving, her life was inconsistent with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And this showed This showed in her life, in in her sinful anger, in her stubbornness, in her resisting her own family. But now, Christine's acknowledging, accepting, and, and forgiving their trespasses allowed Christine to more fully experience the grace of her Heavenly Father in her life, Matthew 6, 14. And this is why it's so important that as recipients of this, as recipients of forgiveness, We pass it on, folks. We pass it on. This letting go of grievances that God has for you and for me, it's supposed to change us like Christine from the inside out. From the inside out. So let's let's just say that that you like Christine. Maybe you can identify with her in her struggle to forgive her parents. Let's just think about it. Who are the parents in your situation? Who is it that you personally need to forgive so that you may more fully experience the grace of God in your life? What situation might be keeping you from a closer walk with Jesus Christ? 
This is important. Maybe you're harboring resentment against an old boss, a current boss, who doesn't favor your work like he always does the work of the guy next to you. That's frustrating. Maybe you feel like you've been treated unfairly in the company. You try not to let, let it bother you at night when you get home from work, when it's just you and the loved ones, but it eats at you. Maybe it's been eating at you for years. Maybe you're bothered by something uh, in your family, something a sibling or multiple siblings uh, have done to you. Maybe several years ago, it's driven a wedge between all of you. Maybe you wonder why you struggle in your newfound God-given relationships, why boundaries are so difficult for you. But you've never stopped to let God take care of the relationships he gave to you many years ago. Maybe you've had unforgiven trespasses that have caused a lot of friction between you and someone you love. For some of it, it's been just a few years since we've seen a grandchild. Maybe for others, it's been a lifetime. Maybe, unfortunately, we feel things just have to be that way. Maybe a grandchild, maybe a father. But Jesus says the reality of the situation for every single person in this room is that we're all one day going to face our Heavenly Father. On that day, will we have shown as far as is possible to our earthly families, to our friends, our co-workers, people in the pews next to us, the people that rent from us, alike, you name it, the same forgiveness he's shown to me, to you, the ones that know him. And if you don't think keeping a few grudges matters or makes much of a difference from these church pews, would like to share this with you. I, I've said things similar to this from the pulpit, but I think it truly bears repeating. I've been uh, in the pastoral ministry now uh, five years five whole years and they said it wouldn't last but you know out of all the doors that I knock on and phone calls I make people I run into church visitors maybe maybe the, some of the ones that get away or, or uh, members that transfer out or move on or, or what have you there is one reason or is at least among the most prevalent at least in the top three reasons why Visitors and sometimes members are now ex-visitors or ex-members of the church. And it goes something like this. I quit going to worship on Sunday because of something somebody said to me in 1997. Right? Or, or you can fill, on these, fill in these blanks however you want. I quit going to church because fill in the blank said fill in the blank to me or someone in fill in the blank with distant year of the past. This is almost like computer programming language, I think. But. but I hear this statement in some way, shape, or form way too often. And when we think about barriers to church growth, which is what we're all about here, right? I believe the carried grudge is a big one. It's a big one. Uh, author Carrie uh, Newhoof listed unresolved conflict as one of the top seven reasons why churches fail to grow. Unresolved conflict basically boils down to a failure to forgive like Jesus. Failure to forgive like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we love the idea of the grace of God. That's why we're here. We're forgiven. We, 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 we bow down. We thank God for his grace. But we don't like nearly as much the idea of living the grace of God. We don't like that part. 
Who made us mad? The preacher, those elders, somebody on the praise team, the lady that used to run the vacuum cleaner. They were all worth getting mad, leaving the church, leaving that church position, you name it, at some point, to somebody. How in the world can we expect God to bless, to give growth to individuals, to the church, when we fail to pass on the grace to the people he's put among us right here? I'm just curious. To the sinner that already sits in the pew next to my sinful self, there but for the grace of God goes whom? Me. But that's difficult. That's not easy. God expects me to forgive someone who really cost me dearly, who did more than hurt my feelings, may have sent me down the wrong path even mentally or emotionally, may have taken years off my life physically, may have influenced me to the negative spiritually. To those of us who identify with Christine in our story earlier, if we struggle to forgive that person or those people, at the very least, we better just keep on struggling. But don't give up on grace. Never give up on grace in your life. John Piper writes, struggling to forgive is not what destroys us. What destroys us in the faith is the stubborn, settled position that we are not going to forgive. And we intend to cherish the grudge against someone. We just want to feel that bitterness. <laughs> Think about it. There's another option for us besides forgiveness in the church, but I'll warn you, it's a satanic one. We can either get better, as they say, or we can just choose to be bitter. Maybe you run across people like this. We can, we can spend the rest of this week or month or year or lifetime being bitter about something somebody said or did to us in 2007 or 1997 or 1957. I struggle with that year a little. But I promise you one thing. Hebrews 12.15 says bitterness is not going to get you anywhere you want to be. Make a note of that verse. The struggle is inevitable. Being bitter is a choice. You can struggle with this. That's okay, but don't be bitter. Jesus has instead shown us that letting go of my pride, regardless of how difficult this may be, letting go of the self is the only way we're going to do what we need to do. When we forgive, we follow the one who forgave all. Amen? But again, by forgiving... I don't mean to just blindly trust the one who, who was abusive as, as though they never abused you or enable the one who spread the gospel about you to know all your personal information again. Don't do that. Oh, you want my social security number again? Okay. Maybe things will turn out better this time. Our text isn't saying be gullible. Put yourself back in that situation with those people who treated you like you were less than human and made in God's image. By forgive, we're saying let go of any personal animosity you may have had about this specific situation. Just let it go. Like the song I got to hear for about five years in my house from Walt Disney. Thank you, Walt Disney. Let it go. Yeah, there's now a Frozen 2. I can't wait to hear what song comes out of that for the next. I bet they won't let it go either. Make a note of Romans 12, 18, if you would. Make a note also of Colossians 3, 13. Let go of any personal animosity you may have had about a specific situation. Seek reconciliation with the other party as far as is possible. 
as far as you can. Wounds can run deep. I know we're not always guaranteed reconciliation. The other person has to give too. When something hurts, it hurts. Yes, it hurts. And we don't understand the pains of the past unless we've been through a particular situation ourselves, right? One preacher tells of a woman who, as a child, had, had, had been abused by a member of her family. And I'm, I'm going to watch my words because it's Family Sunday. I know we've got young years. But the abuse the woman suffered as a child significantly affected her ability as an adult to have normal relationships with others. By the time the woman came in for counseling, she was in her 40s. She hadn't yet forgiven the perpetrator. Now, the most difficult part of this experience, the preacher notes, was this. The woman was no longer able to confront the family member for an apology. He had been dead for many years. The preacher writes, in this case, the woman had no choice but to forgive this individual from the inside out regardless of any chance for reconciliation. In his own words, the bitterness that was consuming her was corrosive to her own spirit. It was corrosive. And it was destroying a part or more of her adult life. Well, overcoming this kind of a struggle, it's not going to come naturally or quickly or easily to us, is it? This world around us is broken. We are too. So what does Jesus say to us in Matthew 6, 12? Jesus makes it clear. It's in the verse just prior to our text for today that Christians should be filling our prayers with the desire for forgiveness. Lord, help me desire to forgive. Because, Lord, you know that this hurt I'm, I'm, I'm going through, I'm referencing, it's not natural. It's not natural. Lord, it's not what you intended. And since it's not natural... I have to learn to depend on what? The supernatural. Amen? I have to learn to depend on the supernatural. We need to learn how to become people who forgive, as verse 12 of Matthew 6 says, and forgive us our what? Debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors or trespassers. Jesus even stresses the importance of forgiveness again in Matthew 18 of the parable of the what? Becky was, asked, was talking about this a few times this last week for, for the youth, so I know she remembers the name of it. The unforgiving servant, parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus talks about the struggling of forgiveness often. Why does he talk about it often? Maybe it's because we need to hear about it often. Forgiveness isn't an easy thing or we'd all just do it naturally, wouldn't we? But we can't. We're desperate for this amazing thing we call grace, aren't we? There's a reason why we call it amazing. There's a reason. Songwriter Paul Hewson, you may know him better as Bono, writes, Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. I won't sing this song this morning because I don't want you to appreciate the rock group U2 any less. But I believe this song lyric really hits it on the head here. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. No matter the ugliness of sin, the grace of God has changed the world for us as Christians. That's what it does. It is made and it makes beauty out of very ugly things. I, for one, am very thankful for that. I need all the help I can get in that department. I'm going to hear it for that one later. I don't care. He who can laugh at himself will never run out of material. 
You heard the name Christine earlier and how grace made beauty out of her situation. As Bible readers, what are some other stories we may have heard? We may have shared about God's grace. Here's a couple. How about Joseph's story? The book of Genesis, chapter 50. Remember, Joseph refused to seek retribution against his brothers for selling him into slavery. Boy, he could have. Maybe he should have. Maybe I would have. But grace made beauty out of ugliness. Grace is the only thing that could have made beauty out of the ugliness for Joseph. Stephen, Acts chapter 7, verse 60. Stephen, who prayed directly to God for forgiveness against his persecutors while he was being stoned to death by them, says the word of God. Would you have done the same? I hope I would if I were in that situation. So what if you and I were to fully apply grace, this amazing grace, to our situations? If my life became uh, just a little less about Josh and a lot about grace, instead of about Josh and resentment, or Josh and quick temper, or Josh and insecurities, or Josh and jealousy, or you name it. Be nice, though. Do you think instead of all those other attributes that we're so quick to adopt and maybe we don't like to admit, the resentment, the quick temper, the insecurities, the jealousy, what if instead we lived by grace? We let grace make beauty out of something ugly. If, if necessary, we, we even took grace to the end, like Stephen, if we died by grace, if every one of us this morning truly committed to being people who forgave each other, who looked for opportunities to forgive, do you think we might discover real change in this ugly world? Change in our families, in our churches, in our community. Since January of this year, there for a while, some of us were probably keeping track by now, we've probably lost count. There have been 38 public mass killings in the U.S., as it did at the cross, do you think grace could still be a thought to change the world? In some circumstances, friends, it's all we have. It's all we have. Remember, no matter what we've endured, no matter what we go through, regardless of how painful the past has been, God's word promises that our present struggle it holds no comparison to what's coming. What's ahead for God's people? Romans 8.18, amen? The past can't hold a candle to future glory. It can't hold a candle. So may we be people who look to what's ahead by seeking to forgive, looking to forgive, not just kick them under the, the rug, ignore them, pretend they're not there, but seek to forgive trespasses of the past who see the grace of God in our lives, not just as an insurance policy for when we die, but who experience God's grace right here while we're physically alive. God's grace is for now. It's for now. I'd like to close this morning with another story about how forgiveness, it's always within reach, it's always available, no matter how difficult it may be for us to grab a hold. And uh, if you're a history buff or a, a fan of especially World War II buffs, uh, you may find this story interesting. Forgiveness is always possible. One author writes, I'm quoting here, the year was 1947. 
And it was almost two full years after the liberation of Auschwitz. Corey Ten Boom stepped forward to share the message of forgiveness and healing at a German church. As Corey stepped forward, she prayed that God would use her words to bring about healing, forgiveness, and restoration. What she was about to experience changed her life forever. The author continues, As Corey Ten Boom finished her message, a man stepped forward, moving his way through the crowd of people there to speak with her. The man looked familiar, like she'd seen him somewhere before. As Corey Ten Boom looked into the man's eyes, it all suddenly became crystal clear in her mind. She recognized him from the past. The uniform, the whips, the walking past, unclothed. Corey Ten Boom remembered her sister dying a slow and painful death at the hands of this man. And suddenly the memories came flooding back to her, memories from Auschwitz and this man who had been a prison guard at the concentration camp. The man said to Corey, I'm a Christian now, with his eyes looking sadly into hers. I know that God has forgiven me for what I have done, but will you forgive me? The man continued, stretching out his hand to receive Corey's. And the author writes, Corey stood there for what must have seemed an eternity. She knew that she needed to make a choice. Could she forgive the man at whose very hand she experienced so much hurt and humiliation? Not without the help of Jesus, she couldn't. Not without the help of Jesus Christ, no. And so Corey began to pray. And she began to pray these words. Jesus, I can lift my hand, but I need your help. I need your help. Within seconds, Corey Ten Boom found herself shaking hands with her former prison guard and declaring, I forgive you. I forgive you, brother, with my whole heart. And my friends, this is what grace that can change the world looks like. This is amazing grace. In following Jesus, Corey Ten Boom forgave the one who'd imprisoned, tortured, and nearly killed her in a Nazi concentration camp. No matter our struggle to forgive, by the grace of God, you and I can do the same with the ones who've imprisoned us. We truly can. So quickly, let's address those three misunderstandings about forgiveness which we mentioned earlier. Number one, forgiveness is not, it is not minimizing the seriousness of an offense. Forgiveness can be life-changing. In the case of Corey Ten Boom, we can guarantee she'd never be the same again. Seriousness was not minimized in her response. To forgive someone doesn't mean the wrong against you isn't still wrong. It doesn't mean the wrong against you doesn't still hurt. It means you've let go of holding a grudge against it. Second, forgiveness is not the instant restoration of trust. We know we don't go back to instant, fully restored trust, even if we say we trust someone who has hurt us all over again. We're not obligated to instantly restore our trust. How many times does Jesus say to forgive someone who sins against you in Matthew 18, 22? 70 times 7, right? 
But this is for the extension of grace. Trust takes time, doesn't it? Trust takes time. Jesus doesn't request that you say, trust me to wreck your car 70 times 7. Jesus commands us to say, forgive me for doing it once. It's so important we understand what forgiveness truly is. So important. And finally, connecting this with our third misunderstanding about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean we we resume the relationship without any changes. You know, when someone hurts us, there may be boundaries that that get adjusted afterwards. That's okay. That's okay. But we move forward in the relationship however we can. In the Garden of Eden, the Bible says Adam walked with God personally, personally in the cool of the day. But in the age of grace, our relationship with God the Father is through his Holy Spirit, isn't it? And yes, the Bible says Christians will personally be with Jesus in eternity, Revelation 21. But after the fall, our relationship with God changed. It changed, didn't it? Sin separated us. We experience an adjusted relationship with God today in Christ. But our relationship has been restored. Forgiveness is not the same as a full reunion of a relationship. Forgiveness is what you do if you're offended within the relationship. The relationship will still change. Forgiveness means, and and this is what I'd like for you to take this morning more than anything, forgiveness means we do all we possibly can to move forward together, just like Jesus has done for us. All he possibly If your struggle this morning is forgiving others, God knows this struggle is real. God knows. But you know what also is real is that old rugged cross we sing about, isn't it? We can choose to collect grudges in this life, as Wesley said, to burn the very bridge you need to walk across. Or we can submit to Calvary's cross. We can let this grace of God extend itself through us to others in our lives. And we can learn to depend on God's forgiveness for our sins today and for the forgiveness of those who sin against us. When it comes to feeling like we've been wronged, we may have a struggle, but in the grace of God, shown at the cross, we are not without a prayer. We're not without a prayer. Let's go to God now. Oh, Lord in heaven. There are so many things that we can gather in your name and and we can be thankful for. There's there's so much that that, that we have to, to praise your name about. But Lord, perhaps more than anything, it's for your grace and mercy. And Lord, when we look at your word and we see this this timeline that you've established the history of you going to every length possible to be with us again, to restore the relationship we once had with you because you love us so very much. Lord, I pray that grace, we would allow your grace, Lord, to not just give us peace of mind about when we die, but that we allow grace to change every day of our life. Lord, help us to be people who forgive. 
Lord, help us when we, when we don't want to forgive, when we struggle with saying, I, I let myself go from animosity about this situation. When we don't want to say, let's move on, let's put this behind us. Or Lord, when we don't want to say, I'm sorry. We don't want to admit that we need to seek reconciliation with someone. Help us to be people who seek grace, who give grace. And Lord, who want to be your family together. Lord, it's going to take your activity in our lives. Lord, we know your word says, with you all things are possible. Lord, grace is so amazing. And yet we fail so often to be people who give it freely. Lord, I pray that, that as we do, that, that uh, we would be a witness to the outside world. That when others look at the church, they wouldn't see uh, the backstabbing and, and the mud slapping and, and all that we do, Lord, that, that, that makes us look like everybody else, but that we would see the body Lord, when we look at the cross and, and we imagine the way uh, you hung there, the pain and the suffering that has been endured for us, Lord, help us remember we can go through a little pain right now if it means grace is given. Help us, Lord, to be people of grace. Lord, if there's anyone here today who hasn't accepted your grace, it hasn't made a decision to follow you in grace forever. Lord, I pray that you would speak to them this morning, that you would move their hearts, that they would give everything up for you as you have given for them. It is in the powerful name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. The struggle is real. You know, over the last four weeks, we've talked about different struggles, things that don't come easy to us in the church, but things that we all need to be aware of. And with the help of God, maybe do a little bit better. If you have a public decision that you'd like to make this morning, we're having a time of invitation now. And at this time, as, as we sing this next song, they'll come to the altar. We invite you to come forward. If it's to go into those waters of baptism and to come up a new creation, if it's to just rededicate yourself, to Jesus. Uh, if you have an announcement or, or something else that you'd like to make this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this last song all about grace. Please stand.